Go back, if you would, turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to continue preaching through the book of Romans here as the Lord uh, directs. Romans chapter 8. Now, you've all heard probably a phrase. It's pretty common. I have some good news and I have some bad news. Now, I'm of the type who wants to hear the bad news first and end up on the good news. But there's some people who'd rather have the good news than give me the bad news. Now, who is the bad news first, then the good news? Who's give? Uh-oh, we have some wafflers. They don't really care. Just give it, give it to me. However, whatever. <laughs> You're, those are the people who are used to it. <laughs> All right, but if you're like me, I like to end on the good news. But last week in chapter 7 of Romans, we got what I would call a lot of bad news uh, in chapter 7. The message was this, when you get saved, oh, it's a glorious, and as it is, it's also totally frustrating because of this one thing, that this fleshly tabernacle... (laughs) that we live in is not saved. The body still has its desires. In the spiritual sense, these desires conflict with our new desires to serve the Lord. And it's a lifelong battle. In other words, while we are living on this earth, we will never fully defeat those desires and that that flesh. Paul describes it as a war that exists. A war between the desire to serve God and the enemy of the flesh that wants to serve itself. Paul says, when I was not saved, that it slew him. He was dead in trespasses and sins. It was taking him to hell at that point. So when I got saved, yes, it lost the power to kill me. That is a final, total, complete, what we would call a completed sanctification unto eternal life. We call it salvation, redemption, born again unto the family of God. You are His forever. However, until we die, we are attached to this body of flesh which has no good in it. And we are at war with it. The battle between the flesh and the spirit in this life is what is known as a sanctification process. It is a process of progress. God gives us armor for the battle. We learned about that, didn't we, in VBS. In Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of... I want you to, if you're going to catch anything in these words, His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God, praying always with 
all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And then listen to this. Sometimes we miss this part. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We need the prayers of each other, the support of each other. The children of Israel were holy and miraculously saved from Egypt. Egypt, a picture of sin. They were dead in that sense at, that, at the Red Sea, dead in their trespasses and sins. No way out, impossibility, nothing that they could do. Egypt had Israel pinned with way, no way of escape. What was sure death to Israel ends up that God drowned the entire army in the sea and safely delivered Israel to the other shore. They rejoiced. They danced. They sang a song of praise for their deliverance. They were on top of the world. Kind of reminds me of salvation. But it was not long after that that the enemy came in in another form, nipping at their heels. In Exodus 17:1, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Do you think for one second that God did not know Israel was running out of water? Or do you think that the Amalekites surprised God in their attack against Israel? All part of God's plan. God has a plan for us. I mean, these things that we go through. No water to teach them and to trust in God for their sustenance. In life, then the Amalekites, a picture of sin attempting to win in the flesh. God would teach them how to battle the flesh. You remember the story Joshua led the people in hand-to-hand combat, a picture of the will to fight against sin, but the battle was not won on the ground level because the flesh is weak. It's unable to win. The battle was hand-to-hand combat at the ground level, but the winning of the battle took place where? On a much higher plane, on the mountaintop with Moses, Aaron, and Hur. The winning of the battle was represented in Moses holding his hands up to the God of heaven to bring God into the battle for victory. When his hands were up, God gave them victory. But even as strong as Moses was, his hands got heavy and his strength would falter and he let his hands fall at the point which the enemy began to win. His flesh was not sufficient for the battle. Not the best of man here can win that battle. But God showed Moses something really wonderful. Fellow Christian support. Aaron and Hur gave support to Moses, propping Moses' hands up, allowing God to win the battle for the people. You know, people underestimate the strength of the church and fellow Christians. I don't care how great a leader you are, I don't care how, what a great Christian you are, how great a preacher or pastor you are, under every great man, you will always find, always find a great support system of people. Satan loves when we try to fight him in the flesh. And especially when we try to do this alone. All he has to do is wait, and our flesh will fail, and he will win every time. Salvation is wonderful, but there's continual battles to be fought. Battles of the flesh, battles that can only be won by God. 
You know, there's a song that we sing, and I, I love this as I start to preach. The more and more I see what these people put in their words in the song. It says, stand up, stand up for Jesus. It contains some very important words. It says, the arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Each situation in Israel's wilderness journey was preparing them to trust in God. He was molding them for victorious living. As the song teaches us, God can do anything but what? Where's Joel? <laughs> he has a different word for it, I think. But uh, anything but fail. Or the New Testament scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Caleb and Joshua grew to know and trust their great God, that God cannot fail. That was their whole thing. They seen all the difficulties, the things that were above them, but that was nothing because if God said it, He will do it. We don't have to concern ourselves. You can bank on it. Where He says to go is the place, best place to be. God wants our confidence in Him even against all human odds. Believing God at His word and acting upon it is the power of God. Faith. Faith moves in a direction based on the promises of God. It is a direction that is afar off. That can't be seen. That is really, really important, folks. This is where we need to keep our eyes on. It's a direction that you give your life to. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And it goes on and on and on about faith in this chapter. You know, salvation is a life journey to forsake our old way of life and, and our old way of thinking to live our life based on a new and living way built on faith, believing on the promises of the future. Romans chapter 7 is tough, sobering news that the life of a Christian here on this earth is a battle, a battle. When Israel crossed into the promised land, it was battle by battle. It is no different for the Christian today, and particularly we fight this inward battle. Part of me having the desire to serve God, while another part of me, my flesh, my body, wants to serve self. That's the thing that when you don't want to go to church, part of you says, that's the right thing to do, that's what God wants me to do, but I don't feel like it. 
And there could be tons of reasons for that. This is the bad news. It's the reality that becoming a Christian will make your life really tougher. You know, we, we talk about it when people get saved. They think, you know, oh, everything's going to be hunky-dory. Actually, not. It's going to be tough. But chapter 8 of Romans is the good news. That God lives in, in us through His Holy Spirit. God cannot fail. We are His child forevermore. His child and forever I am, as the song goes. Everything about it. They wrote that for a purpose. They realized what God, God is. His child and forever I am. We can't go down. We can't go down as a Christian. We can only go up. This is the vision we must maintain, and it is by faith. It is the promise of God. It is sure, and it lays ahead. Now, I'm going to give you a pretty crude example of this. Somebody buys a lottery ticket. You know why they buy a lottery ticket? Because they, they must believe that they could win. Now, there's just like this flimsy hope. But let me ask you this. When they buy that ticket and say that drawing or whatever it is is a week from now, Somewhere in between there, do they crumble it up and throw it away? No. They wait until the fulfillment of it. Our faith really is based on the future. We can't give it up. That means just like throwing it all away, what we said we believe in. You see what I mean? It's, it's an overcoming faith. It has to be. It's the only type there is. How else can you explain it? This morning, we're going to hear the encouraging news from Romans chapter 8. The title of the message is The Good News. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings in life. Thank you for this chapter in Romans chapter 8. We come off of Romans chapter 7 and we see a tough life ahead, a battle, a constant battle. Nobody here likes to battle, but yet it must be. It is your way, but you're there with us to fight through it. But you're going to give us some encouraging news, some important news in chapter 8. And Father, I pray we take heed to it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Romans 8 is probably, I don't know how to explain it, but it is, it's the high level mark of God. I don't know what to do, but just, to sit in all of it. I don't know how you, how you take what he's going to tell us in chapter 8, except it is what it is. And it's all of him. We spend our whole life struggling with that, folks. That it's all of him. We keep wanting to insert something in ourselves, but there's nothing good in us, and it's all of him. The news is the essence of faith. It looks to the promises that lay ahead for us. It is the Christian's confidence that God has promised to carry us through. There's another song about that. In spite of our failures. Chapter 8 is all about who we are attached to. Nothing of us. It's just because who we are attached to. It's based on Christ's work alone. 
The understanding of this chapter is the basis for overcoming anything and everything in this life that it gets thrown at us. It actually tells us how we are more than conquerors or more than an overcomer. The more being that it's beyond our efforts, we're overcome because Christ, it's based on Christ's efforts. Now I'll give you three points to the outline of Romans chapter 8. Now I'm not going to refer to them necessarily as I go through like you would normally in an outline, but I just think it's some really simple points to, to think about. The chapter begins with no condemnation. It closes with no separation. And in between, all things work together for good to them that, that love God. Romans 8.1, if you would with me, I'm going to read here for a moment. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now these eight verses describe what repentance is, what, what took place. And, you know, salvation can be so simple. It can be of a child who's just putting his full trust in the Lord. But it also can be something where somebody's older who knows all the things and all the control they have and everything they can do, and it's all within them to do it, and they know it, and they have to drop everything and give all that away to turn to God. <laughs> Much harder the older a person gets. It's like concrete. I don't know if you've ever worked with concrete. <laughs> it sets up pretty quick. You better get it laid while you can. But with God, all things are possible. Paul described this total reversal of living in Romans chapter 6, 16 through 18, which we've been over. Know ye not that whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Those are two opposite things. You were doing this, but now you're doing this. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. That's salvation. You repented. Whether you realize that or not, you don't have to realize. It all happens. It is, it's there. It has to. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Now I like how Paul says it in another way. This is one of my favorite verses because I can just, this is just as simply as I could state salvation of myself. And that is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. 
says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There it is. It's a total reversal of what you were and what you are now. Now Paul's going to bring in the work of the Holy Spirit in here. Look at verses, beginning in verses 9 through 16. He says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Capital S, P-I-R-I-T. It's kind of interesting that you should look at that word, whether it's capitalized or not capitalized, because we all have a, all man has a spirit within themselves, their choice, their being. Okay? But then there's the Holy Spirit of God. It says, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. How do you know that you have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you now? Just let me tell you, I'm going to tell you something. Everything, I'm going to probably repeat this a lot today. Everything is of God. This alone, this Bible here alone, can't save you. Now, that's going to sound a little crazy to you right now. You need the Spirit of God to tell you what's in here. That's why, what was it, uh, is it Karl Marx what said that he memorized all four Gospels by heart? Dead as a doornail. Because he has not the Spirit of God. See, everything is only by God. It's hard to grasp a hold of. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. See, it's what we're attached to. We have the Holy Spirit of God in our life. It's by that Holy Spirit we're going to be raised. We're going to be resurrected unto life one day. He said, therefore, brethren. What's it there for? We are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. What it's saying is, you know, when, when you weren't saved, your flesh ruled. And you got enjoyment out of it. But when you got saved, the flesh is death. It doesn't do any good for you. It does bad for you. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. <laughs> A loving, caring Father who will never, ever let you go. The Spirit itself, capital S, P-I-R-T, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In these scriptures, we see the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in our life. John 14, 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, whom the world 
cannot receive. They can't pick up that Bible and get God. They need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to them. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. If you grow in the Lord of anything, you'll feel that Holy Spirit. You will feel that connection. Uh, Tim and I went golfing and we got paired with this other fella, this other young man. And I noticed something. He had a good spirit about him. Now, if you ever go golfing, just like with any kind of sport, there's people who's attached to it. They love it. That's what they're like. A lot of garbage talk and filthy talk and just different things. You know, you kind of hate. You kind of wonder what you're going to get. This fella held himself for his attitude. You know, when you, if you play golf and you hit bad shots, you know how that feels. And he held himself very well, very, like, humble. A young black fella who's a graduate of uh, Louisville University. At the end, I said, I said, you're a Christian, aren't you? He said, yes, I am. I said, I could tell you acted like one. Now, I want to clear something up here about you may think about this, because we hear these terms when we say we are saved, that Jesus lives in our heart. But the scripture says that who lives in us is the Spirit of God. Is it the Holy Spirit that lives in our heart, or is it Jesus that lives in our heart? Galatians 4, 6 says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 2 Corinthians 1.21, Now he which, is, which established, establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. John 15.26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Jesus speaking. John 16, 13. How be it then? How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come? He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. And he shall glorify me. He shall receive of mine and shall show it Unto you all things that the Father hath are mine, Jesus speaking. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. There's the Trinity right there. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? John, 15, John 5, 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things... Soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. John 12, 49. For I have not spoken of myself, 
but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. We better pay attention to this, folks, because it's going to, at the end, it's going to helpfully make some uh, sense. You know, it is the Spirit of God that lives in us, but He only speaks of Christ, and Christ only speaks of the Father. Bottom line, we have the entire Trinity living in us in that way. Let's go to verse 17. And if children, if we're children of God, then heirs. We get it all, everything. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. That one, I, have, I get everything that Jesus has. I mean, I'll tell you, it's, this is hard to grab a hold of, of how great God is and what He does for us. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, folks. We'll go through it. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into this glorious liberty of the children of God. Now listen to this. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. This is what Paul said back in Romans chapter 7. Who shall deliver me from this death, from this wickedness, from this flesh that I have that I don't have any control of? God be thanked. He's going to take care of that. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? We always ought to have something we don't see that we're going after. That's faith. But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Listen to this. I hope you're seeing this is all of God's doing. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then the big verse, here's where it's at. We quote this, you know, we pull this out and quote this. This is where it's inserted in. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. No matter what you get into in life as a Christian, you need to come to this fact that he's working it out. He is. He can't fail. As tough or as difficult as it might be, you're looking at that hope ahead. Katie and Andy going through a trial. Each one of us are going through some type of trial. And we just need to keep our eyes on the future. It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, and He didn't, you'll never find where He predestinated anybody to hell. 
Them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. He had a plan from beginning to end, folks. He did. We don't. He does. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Keep, our, keep your eyes on that. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Throw in anything in there. It is written, for thy sakes we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us because of him. That's how we conquer. He's going to conquer. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The chapter began with no condemnation. It closes with no separation. And in between, all things work together for good to those that love God. Now what is the logical conclusion to this great salvation? To live in fear that we can lose our salvation? God forbid! That's silliness. If the keeping of our salvation is of God alone with no works of our own. Can God fail? I'll use Bible words, I trow not. <laughs> he can't fail it. Our salvation and keeping of it is in Him. How about this? Since we are going to heaven, regardless, which is true, if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, do we have an open license to sin and please the flesh along the way? God forbid. For what was life unto me as being unsaved has now been revealed as death unto me as being saved. Why? That is, this is just foolish thinking. What then is the practical application of Romans chapter 8? Let me give you a little bit of logic. Paul deals in logic. If God, the Holy Spirit, only speaks of Jesus, the Son of God, and that's the only thing He will do, and Jesus, the Son, only does what the Father says, the logical conclusion is that we only obey what the Spirit of God tells us to do. Nothing else. Very logical. That's the order. It seems that the only logical response to Romans chapter 8 is to trust and obey. 
It's like a child. The thing is, we've got the adults and we take care of our family. But we remember when we were a child, we didn't have to worry about anything, did we? Because we believed our earthly father could take care of everything. I remember one of the kids thought I made it snow. Look, dad made it snow. Was that you, Beth? <laughs> we're no different than that. I want you to realize that. We're just little children under God. God is going to do it all. But how? what should a good child do? Obey. Trust and obey. We sing it. Trust and obey. For there's only one way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's our total trust of God that we obey him. It is in this trust and obedience we find rest. Now let me give you an adult's version of this. Somebody we know, David. I want you to listen to what David said in Psalm 37. Fret not thyself because of evil do. do evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And don't misinterpret that. The flesh way of that is saying, you know, God's going to give me all the things my flesh wants. No, he's going to tell you, tell you what you need. And he's going to give you the desires for it. Hey, there's no fleshly desire to come to church, to preach God's word or do any of that. That's the desires God has put in me and he will put in you. There'll be righteous desires. It says, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. We've just heard some of this. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth for yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yet thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. That's called living by faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed and the pianist coming to play. Wow. Romans chapter 8. That is the high water level. God's got it all taken care of. He's taking care of us. We don't have to worry about anything. Just as a child is to a father. And he can rest. They can enjoy but they're subject unto the Father to obey Him, to trust Him, to believe in Him, follow after Him. But even as little children, they have that, don't they have that flesh too that they want to serve themselves? Yet the Father deals with them and chastens them to teach them. Remember, that's where we're at. 
He's chasing us. He's teaching us to trust in Him. To be in rest. To know that we've got it made. No matter what things are happening here, He's the one who's got it in control. Easy preaching, hard living, as it's been said. But that's the way. Till this flesh is gone, it's a battle. But we have a promise. A promise that will take us through, that we need to focus in when we have difficulties and troubles, and that we can just rest that God has taken care of it. All things work together for good to them that love God. Though no one join me, Still I will follow. That's faith. I'm believing in that. You'll see it all through the men of faith in the Bible. That's what they had. They, they had difficult situations. Being thrown into a den of lions, into a furnace. Thrown into jail. But they saw something ahead. And they were able to live victoriously. Amen. I hope you enjoyed listening to Romans chapter 8. It's all Him. I'm still learning that, folks. It's just hard to grasp as a human being. It's all of Him. And we become smaller. He must increase. I must decrease. There's that process. Let's pray. Father, thank You for all those who've come here to, uh, to fellowship around your word, around your music, around people of God, all these things that you've given us. I pray for those who are forsaking these things. Oh God, they're, they're headed for a life of death if they're born again. And so I pray for those who aren't where they need to be in their life for you. Father, I just pray for those who don't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would just fall before your face and trust you as their Savior and let you do the work in their life. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.